0: Hallelujah. Amen. It's it's a privilege, brothers and sisters, to be able to congregate in the house of the Lord. You know, it's a privilege to be able to congregate here at the Shepherd's Flock. This building, to be specific, right? Uh, It's been around for for some time now. If I'm not mistaken, it was one of the first or maybe the first church that was built in Pearsall. So uh, there's some history. There's some history in those benches you sit in. As heavy as they are, I assume they're probably some of the original ones, if not the original ones. Amen. They were made right, not like the stuff we buy nowadays. Uh, But praise God for that. Praise God for your attendance. Amen. Praise God that you're here with us. Brothers and sisters, we're going to be studying out of the the, uh, study guide. And uh, we've been talking uh, specifically about um, different topics. But they all start or all the lessons have started with one great. Right? We talked about one great creator. Right, which is God who made the heavens and the earth, uh, made everything we know. We talked about one great purpose. Uh, there's a reason for our existence. We're not here by accident. Amen. How many of you know that you're not here by accident? Amen. That we're not here by accident. We uh, we discussed one great problem. What was our great problem? Sin. Right. That uh, the fall of man introduced sin into our lives, and you know, without that, we are in big trouble. Um, and then we also, uh, last week, studied about one great Savior and the fact that even though we had one great problem, uh, there's one great solution, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen? That regardless of our situations, our circumstances, regardless of the problems or the places we find ourselves in, regardless of the fact that, you know, without, without Christ, we're sinful and there's a consequence to that. We know, and we studied last week, that we have one great Savior. And his name is Jesus Christ. And we're going to kind of stick on the topic of one great things, right? And for today's uh, study, um, we have what? One great commitment. Who can tell me what commitment means? Or in your own words, uh, what the word commitment means. And don't worry, I didn't look this one up for the first time. Commitment. So, okay. Responsibility. Anybody else? Faithful. Faithfulness? A choice that you're gonna do something? Choice to do? Amen. Anybody else? Commitment. When you hear the word commitment, what what comes into mind? What's that? Marriage? Brother been the only one that thought of marriage? Should have all thought of that. I thought about it no. Marriage, amen, commitment. What else? One more. Promise. Ooh, that's a good. One. Promise or a decision. Tell I me mean, what a promise is. No, man. Something you commit to, he says. We use these words every day, right? I mean, I, there's no, well, I always say there's no right or wrong answer. There's a wrong answer, right? But, you know, uh, what is a promise? I mean, in your words, right? We all know each other. Everybody here knows each other, right? So it's not like we don't talk when, when we're not in, in church. We know each other. What's a promise? Of, oh. <laughs> yes, it's true. About what's a no Amen. Okay, so so you see how it's, break break it out into something more than just a word, right? Or synonym. I always say that wrong, right? Did I say it wrong? Synonym. Synonym. I always want to say cinnamon. It's because I like to eat. Amen. <laughs> cinnamon roll. Yeah, What what is it, brothers and sisters? a promise, a commitment, right? We're studying about this. One great commitment. We need to know what it means. And we don't necessarily need to know the, the definition out of the, the dictionary. But we need to know what it means to be committed or to, you know, to have that investment into something that you say, regardless of what happens, I'm going to be there. That's what a commitment really is, a promise. You, you got the definition. Pastor for Amen. I like loyalty because I think that summarizes things, right? Everybody knows what it is to mean lo- to be loyal. More importantly, everybody knows what it means not to be loyal. You know, Brother Ben mentioned marriage. He thought of the word commitment. He immediately thought marriage. Why? Because in a marriage, you have to be committed to one another. And the truth is, brothers and sisters, is that I don't believe, I'm not the type of person that believes that you can be a certain percentage of committed. You're either committed or you're not committed. Some people will say you have to be 100% committed to one another. That's already allowing or it's inserting the opportunity for someone to be 50% committed. And the truth is is that when we make a commitment, brothers and sisters, that means you're going to give it your all. Loyalty is about just that being 100% loyal. If you're a little bit unloyal, then altogether you're unloyal. Right? Same thing in a marriage. When you are committed in a marriage, you give everything you've got. The moment that you don't give 100%, Now you're not committed. And that's where we have to find ourselves. And and, and today's lesson is one great commitment. One great commitment. Again, we've studied about the creator. We've studied about our purpose here in this world. We've studied about a, a problem that we have, which is sin. We've studied also about the fact that there is a Savior. But just because we know that there's a Savior doesn't mean we're automatically saved. And I'll repeat that. Just because we know we have a Savior doesn't automatically make us safe. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today, about making one great commitment. Amen? Uh, My guide wants me to ask you very quickly, uh, to ask you to call out several decisions that you made today before you got here to service. Okay? So just out loud, this thing's really loud, I think. Just out loud, I want you to just give me something, a choice that you had to make before you got here this morning. Pastor Fred, the choice to come, okay? What else? What time I was going to wake up in the morning? Someone else. Brother Mark. What you were going to wear, amen. If you were going to match. Okay, that's a good one. How many of you ma- try to match with your husband or your wife? Yeah, I'm guilty of that too, right? And then when you can, it's like, ah. Good. Somebody else. What? What? what if you were going to match. Anybody else? A decision you made before. What you have for breakfast? That's a good one. Amen. Another somebody else, brother Ray. Sc- yeah, scrambled eggs or uh, over easy, right? What else? Decision that you had to make before you got here. What's that? What shoes you're gonna wear? Oh, I know that one. Yeah, not for me. I'm not gonna say names. That I'm gonna get in trouble. But y'all know who I'm talking about. She sits right over there. Brother. Amen. A decision that even through the pain, you're going to show up. Praise God for that. What else, brothers and sisters? Decisions. Right? We make decisions every day. On a daily basis, you and I make decisions. You know, if I ask you the way I ask you, the truth is, is that when we start thinking about it, we can pretty much rapid fire these these answers out. We can say, look, everything was a decision. You know, how you got out of bed, right? And 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 I'm talking about physically, not, not emotionally, right? Because we have a decision to make there as well. But, you know, I don't know about you, but I typically put my right foot down first and then kind of swing over and put my left down and then hop on the of bed, right? That's a decision. It's a choice. You may not think it's one, but it is one. You know what you know what hand do you use to turn on the faucet in the morning? You know, what toothpaste are you gonna use? What brand are you gonna use? The littlest things, right? What undershirt are you gonna wear? Look, I always wear white undershirts, but you think I grab the very first white undershirt and put that one on? I don't know why. Don't ask me why, but I go through them. Oh, this one. It's a decision. We make decisions on a daily basis. And today we're gonna be talking about one great commitment, but What's required, one great decision, if you will, that's required from you and I in order for us to truly have salvation or to truly obtain salvation. You know, there's a saying, especially nowadays in the religious community, because really, I say religious community because it's through and through from church to church to church, that once saved, always saved. But I'm here to, today to, to, to remind you that that's not how God works. More importantly, that's not how salvation works. You you have to, first of all, obtain salvation by an action, by a decision, but you have to be committed to Christ and to that decision on a daily basis in order for you to remain saved. Otherwise, we lose our salvation, amen? So um, right there in in your personal study guide on page 45, there's a question. What are some decisions you have enjoyed making? What's, so, what's something that you've decided to do that you really, really enjoyed making? Anybody want to participate? Retirement. The key. Retirement. What else? Anybody else? Vacation. Men. Anyone else? And Brother Ben's on a road today. Did you do something wrong or what, sister? <laughs> <laughs> That's not <what I'm laughs> We either want something or we did something wrong. <laughs> I'm talking about all the other brothers, not me. No. Amen. <laughs> hey, what's, what's a decision? When you make a good decision, right... You you immediately reap the benefits of a good decision. You know, how do we know the difference between a good decision and a poor decision or a bad decision? The results. You know, everything that we do, every choice that we make on this earth, brothers and sisters, every choice that we make in this life has a result. Everyone, every single one of them. And we can determine whether or not the choice was the right one or the wrong one based on the results that we get back. You see, nowadays, brothers and sisters, there's so much fog within the the, the the mentality of let's say let's be specific let's say America that we can make poor choices and make them over and over and over and again, and the results that we get are bad results. But somehow we tell ourselves that it's not because of the choices that we've made; it's just the results. And I like to use this uh, example all the time. You know, when we go and we're we're small and we're we're, we're just children. We learn hot from cold by what? Trial and error. We make a choice to touch something hot, and what does it do to us? It burns us. And the moment that it burns us and we feel that pain as a child, in our heads we say, ouch. And we say, I'm probably not going to do that again. A lot of times we like to tell ourselves that it's because someone told us something was hot. But the truth is it had nothing to do with the fact that someone told me something was hot. I had to experience hot for myself as a child. You as a person had to experience hot for yourself. So even though mommy and daddy wanted to do their best to protect you from that, the truth is is that you made a choice, you did it, and it burned you. Likewise, brothers and sisters, after that very first moment of touching that and receiving that, from that point on in the rest of your life, you still have that same choice to touch something that's hot not. So that proves to us what? That just because we learn and because we know the truth of a certain something by its result doesn't mean that we are incapable of doing the same thing again, even though it has a negative consequence in our lives. Hence, we can lose salvation. Hence, we can make poor decisions. And those decisions lead us to what? To, to, To poor situations or circumstances in our lives. So very quickly, we have, we already said the title, One Great Commitment. We know that a commitment is based on a decision or a choice that you have. You cannot be committed if you haven't chosen to be committed. You cannot be loyal if you and I have not chosen to be loyal. It's a choice, and it's something that we all have. Who here has a choice? Raise your hand. Everybody here has a choice, amen? We have a point, or the point, And the point is, to be saved, I must trust in who? In Christ. In order to be saved, you and I have to trust in Christ. Amen? All right, very quickly. Let's jump into Scripture there. We're going to be reading in Romans chapter 10, verse 1 uh, through 3. And it should be in your study guide. Everybody have it? Amen. It reads like this. It says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire... And prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. But their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they do not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Amen. Paul was writing primarily to the believers in Rome. His purpose in this letter was to write to those who already believe. But he is trying to address the brothers and the sisters in a certain way to explain something very important to them. In verse 1, it says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for the Israelites that they may be saved. Now, we have to have an understanding, brothers and sisters, that as we've been talking about, you know, our uh, the creation, all the way through through the fact that there was sin, through the fact that God sent His one and only Son, that the reason and the purpose He did this was for your and my salvation. More importantly and more specific, specifically, when we go to the Old Testament, we realize that, that, that God's initial intent were for the Israelites to be saved. Everybody with me? His initial intention was for the Israelites and for only the Israelites. But because the Israelites or the Jews, if you will, rejected Christ as the Savior, it opened the door for everybody else. Praise God for that. So you should never be mad at the Israelites. Never be angry with them. What were they thinking? I would have never have done that. It's because of that that we even have the opportunity for salvation. Now, in this case, Paul is writing to the believers, people who already had accepted Jesus. But he's stating something very dear to his heart that his desire would be that the Israelites would be saved. Because Paul understands that there's a disconnect. At that very critical moment of, of, of time in their life, there was a disconnect because there were some Israelites who had accepted Jesus as the Messiah, as Lord, as God, but he also realized that there was a lot of Israelites who didn't believe Jesus was anything of any type of significance. And because Paul had understood what salvation was really about. Paul's desire was to bring that knowledge or that wisdom. More importantly, I like to use the word that understanding to the Israelites who hadn't yet accepted Jesus as their savior. Verse two, for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. What does the word zeal mean? Enthusiastic. Yes, exactly. Exactly. To to have zeal is to be enthusiastic or have an enthusiasm. Let's break that word down a little bit more on our terms, right? Because I didn't look up the definition for that. What's enthusiasm? Excited? What else? A desire? Yes, a, a desire to. Enthusiasm is that you're excited and have a desire to do something, be somewhere. Participate somehow. When you and I are enthusiastic about things, brothers and sisters, there's nothing that can take that away from us. If my mind is set, let's say I like to, let's use fishing, which I haven't fished in a long time, unfortunately. But if I was really enthusiastic, I can say all day that I like fishing, because I do like fishing. But if I'm not enthusiastic about it, I'm never going to get out there and fish. I like doing it when there's an opportunity to do it and when I remember. But when you meet someone who's enthusiastic about fishing, what do you think that person does? He makes time and he fish. He goes fishing all the time. He prepares. His thought is on fishing, couponing. I don't know who coupons here. If you coupon and you say you're a couponer, that means you're enthusiastic about couponing. If you like working on the yard and you say, hey, I have an enthusiasm for the yard, that means you're working on the yard. That means when I pull up, your grass isn't five feet tall. I love working. I have an enthusiasm for the yard. Everybody with me? So in this case, Paul is stating something very clearly. He says in verse 2, for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Paul wanted to point out something very specific about the Israelites, that they had an enthusiasm for God. They were motivated for the things of the Lord, or I should say the things of God, but they weren't motivated to understand that Jesus was Lord or that Jesus was God. It says there very clearly, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. So I'll use the same thing of fishing as an example. If I have an enthusiasm to to fish, but it's not based on any knowledge of fishing, am I ever going to catch anything? I may get lucky, but in the spiritual things, there's no such thing as luck. So maybe here on this earth, physically, I may go and I may bait my 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 uh, my fishing rod wrong, my line. I might put the weight on the wrong spot with the hook, like I've seen a lot of the hooks are straight on the line, right, and I might ters, toss it in the water, and 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 I might be enthusiastic about it, you know, I'm fishing, but I may catch one, whereas the person that's, you know, a few places down from me is truly entusi- enthusiastic, has the knowledge, has all the gear, has it all prepped, knows the weather, knows, right, because we get, when you meet someone, they get off oh, the sun's coming from that side and the wind's blowing from that side, the tree right there, it's falling, I'm going to throw it right there. And I got the right rod, I have the right test line, right? I have the right bait, this bait is the best one. I have the right size hook, a circle hook, right? We start going crazy. And that person is catching six to your one. Why? Because they're enthusiastic, but they're enthusiastic with the proper knowledge. In this case, Paul was saying, I myself can testify that they are zealous for God. There was people out there, brothers and sisters, with good intentions. You've probably met someone like that. I meet people like that. I have, you know, I I I have people that I meet that are good. In quotations, they're not bad people, they're not out doing wrong things. I've met people that don't drink, don't smoke, don't party, don't any of that stuff. But yet they're still not saved. Because they don't have the knowledge of what salvation is and what it entails. You see, brothers and sisters, because, you know, the goodness of God is, is, is such an amazing thing that you can accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior on the spot without knowing much of anything. You just have to know that you're a sinner. You have to accept Jesus as a personal Lord and Savior. Acknowledge, right, that He died on the cross for you and He's the only way to the Father. But after that point and after that place in your life, you should be gaining knowledge to remain in God, to remain in Christ, and to start changing your life. In this case, Paul was saying very clearly what? That the point was that to be saved, I must trust in Christ. To be saved, these Israelites not only have to have enthusiasm, but they have to know Jesus. We always use this term, a personal relationship with Jesus commitment with jesus you cannot tell your wife that you are committed to her and you cannot tell your husband that you're committed to them if you don't know anything about them that's why when you're just dating brothers and sisters and you say oh i'm committed to you it's not true because you don't know everything about them yet you don't know if their feet smell you don't know if their breath stinks you don't know how often they take a bath or don't take a bath. You don't know those things. So when you say, yes, I love you, no matter what, nothing will separate us. Wait for it. You see, but it's after you know that person that you can say, I'm committed. Knowledge. We could say when we date, we have enthusiasm for one another. But it's at the enthusiasm that the Israelites have. They were zealous for God. I know God. I want to know hey, God, 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 everything, right? I mean, I think that's a perfect uh explanation of sometimes religious people. Their intentions are good. They have an enthusiasm. I get up, I go to church, I get up, I go over here, I volunteer here, I volunteer. But because they don't know Jesus, it's misplaced. The enthusiasm is misplaced because they don't know Jesus. And Paul had this concern, that their zeal, at the end of verse 2, that their zeal is not based on knowledge. Verse 3, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own. What is righteousness? Christ. The term Christ. It, It says, since they did not know the righteousness of God, God's righteousness, God's righteousness is Jesus who was pure and perfect. The perfect sacrifice, the appropriate sacrifice. Like Pastor Fred said last week, the perfect sacrifice for you and I. Paul says there, that instead they sought to establish their own. They sought to find a way for themselves to be good enough to enter the kingdom of heaven. I know God. We know God as 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 a body, if you will, as the Israelites. We know who God is. This man is not God. This Jesus is not anyone but a man. They did not submit to God's righteousness. This is a very important statement because as Pastor Fred says, righteousness in this case is speaking of Jesus. And if he says there that they did not submit to righteousness, basically what he's saying is they did not submit to Christ. A commitment, brothers and sisters, from you and I, loyalty from you and I means that you're submitting to the person or the thing that you're being loyal to. Or you have a commitment to. In a marriage, isn't that what it's about? Truly and honestly, when I say till death do us part. I don't know what, I I don't know how people complicate, till death do us part. That commitment has to be given 100%, but basically what you're saying is that I am no longer belong to me, right? We've heard that before. I now belong to you. Well, he's not my boss, right? But it also says the other way around. It says, and she no longer belongs, and Right? In other words, brothers and sisters, when I make a commitment to my wife, I'm committing to do anything and everything that I can to please and to make her happy. Her request, I'm going to consider. I told you this before. Look, like this, it's probably going to be gone by next week. Guess why? Everybody take a wild guess. She doesn't like it. It's all my mom's fault because she hadn't really said anything until I got here this morning. And my mom... Hey, Bigfoot. Bigfoot? It's a pastor. <laughs> hey, Bigfoot, what do you mean? And it caught me off guard because I don't feel it. Anybody who ever has a beard, you don't, you don't even realize it's there, right? It's Bigfoot, I even thought like, my yeah, I was like, Wait. And then she's like, with well, a beard. And Daisy so happened to be there. And she's like, ugh, he looks ugly. <gasps> Thanks, bro. You can always count on your mom to ruin something. <laughs> no one said amen. Everybody's all scared. Are you? Are you? <laughs> if you're within pinching reach, stay quiet. <laughs> That's all right. She doesn't like your brothers and sisters. Now, let me ask you this: Is is the beard a bad thing? Does having hair on my face change who I am as a person? Oh, praise God, sister, you can, <laughs> she's not here, I know, <laughs> she's not going to believe you said that, that's the problem, yeah, hopefully the mic picked that up, it doesn't, it doesn't, right, I mean, but but what what am I trying to get at, brother, and sisters? that what, since I'm submitted to my wife, and I'm committed to my wife, right, and I'm not saying I always get it right, and I'm not saying you always get it right, but you do your best to say, look, you're my wife. And I love you dearly, and if this really bothers you, even though I can't for the life of me see what, what you don't see in a beard, fine. It's fine. I'll shave it. With Christ, it's the same way. You know, that's what basically what Paul was trying to say in a larger scale, obviously, and more important, that what? That we have one great commitment to make, brothers and sisters, as people. As people, you and I have this one great big decision that we have to make. And that decision is, is to accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, but to submit to Jesus on a daily basis. There's a verse in the Bible that talks about being living sacrifices. I think a lot of times we think, oh, man, Lord, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And, and, and when I die, I want, I want it to touch people's lives. And I want my funeral to, to be used as an opportunity to reach people. But, but the fact of the matter is that the Bible requires and asks us to be living sacrifices. While I'm here, I'm sacrificing of everything I have. All the desires of my heart, all the things that I wish I could do, that I want to do because everyone else is doing them, I'm going to sacrifice those things because I'm in a relationship and I'm committed to this relationship with Christ. Paul wanted his uh, the Israelites to understand this. Right there on page 47 of your personal study guide, there's a paragraph It says, the Jews are not alone in their zeal without knowledge. At the core of most religions is the belief that people are basically good and can work their way to God. Even in the church, a lot of people fill their lives with religious activities. Listen to this. And good morals. Thinking these things will give them a connection to God. But merely being a religious person is not enough. See, we can't be at church, brothers and sisters, because we think it's bringing us closer to God. It sounds sounds off. It doesn't sound right because we teach, right? Go to church so you can be closer to God. But the truth is, is coming to church, participating in the activities that the pastor sets forth, does not get you any closer to God. It's having a relationship with Christ. Which means that if these four walls burned down, God forbid, and we had to stay home today, we'd still know who God was. We'd still have a relationship with God. We could still pray. We could still kneel in our house, in our bedroom, in our closet, and feel the presence of God. God sent His one and only Son for that reason, so that we could experience God as a person. And then they gave the Holy Spirit so that we could still god as a person but it only comes through jesus christ my commitment should not be to my church my commitment should be to god my commitment should not be to the pastor my commitment should be to god and if god set forth and put forth a pastor then by default because i'm committed to god now i'm committed to the pastor Where we fail, brothers and sisters, and I said we, where we fail as people is that we forget that it's not by the deeds that we should be saved. It's not. The Bible says it's not by faith, it's not by deeds, but by faith. There has to be the proper balance of faith and work. And submission to God, brothers and sisters, commitment to God is that fine line. It really is. I'm I'm 34. And I've learned a lot of things in my 34 years. Because by the by the grace of God, I've lived them in, in church, under God, with pastors, with leaders, with uncles, aunts who were Godly and Christian. And I've really come to the understanding, brothers and sisters, that a walk with Christ is is really a tightrope. It really is. You climb up there and you get on this on this on this tightrope. It's not I mean, the Bible tells us, right, that the, the, the gate, the door is narrow. And walking a godly life, brothers and sisters, is about walking that type of Where you trust in God and your eyes are face forward and you're making sure that you're walking right on that road. Too much to the right, too much to the left. People say, well, God, you know, Christian faith is easy. It's not easy. I don't know. It hasn't been easy. Thirty something plus years. I don't think it's always been easy. We're faced with an adversary. We're faced with an enemy. We walk, you know, the the the, the battlegrounds on a daily basis. So that commitment has to be pure. Paul had this concern for the Israelites. And as it says here, being individuals, brothers and sisters, who become religious. Do you know that? And I want to I clarify, I want to clarify, clarify, There could be religious people sitting in our benches right now. Don't, don't, get, don't get it twisted. Don't think that when I say the word religion or use the word religion, I'm talking about another religion out there. It could happen anywhere. The same way people can be saved anywhere, right? Y'all know the testimony. You can know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior at another church. You can come to know him somewhere completely you didn't even think of. Because we always say God is everywhere, Jesus is everywhere until someone says they're saved at a certain church. Yeah, I don't think that's real. Jesus goes where he wants. And he finds who he wants. And those who, what, knock? The door shall be opened. Those who seek, amen. Being religious, brothers and sisters, is a very scary place for you and I to be in. I encourage you not to be. Paul was worried. He says, man, your enthusiasm was, their enthusiasm was great. Unfortunately, they were doing things without the knowledge, without the truth on their side. We know the truth. We're studying the truth. Hopefully, brothers and sisters, so we don't end up in those same circumstances. Or those same situations, amen. Now let's let's continue. I'm gonna do. I'm trying to get through more than I normally get. Romans chapter ten, verse eight. And I, I want to say it probably starts towards the second half of verse eight. It says, "The word is near you; it is in your mouth and in your heart." That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Paul, once again, preaching to the Jews, Jews preaching to the Gentiles, the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of salvation. And his message was a message concerning what? Faith. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. Faith is the evidence. So one cannot proclaim to have faith if there is no evidence. When your faith heals you, we know it was faith because you're healed. Faith is the evidence. Evidence, the hard truth, the hard facts, the things that we don't see. Faith in Christ. Paul was calling the, the 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 Israelites and the Gentiles alike at this point to believe by faith, because I think that the Israelites at some point were expecting Jesus to have come in a different manner. I think they struggled the, with the fact that it was Jesus, because maybe they were expecting something more grand not so humble even though the prophecies had been given i don't think some of them could could capture that that it was really that that simple paul wanted to reassure the the the, the israelites and the gentiles that it was by faith but right there in the very first uh, uh verse 8 it says the word is near you it is in your mouth and in your heart that is The message concerning faith that we proclaim. They had had heard the good news. They had heard the message. It was in their mouth and in their heart. But it says in verse 9, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe it in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. What does it mean to declare Jesus is Lord? says there, uh, question number three on page 48, what are the implications of confessing Jesus as Lord? Another word for implications, what are the results? You become a new creature. What else? Born again. Anyone else? What are the implications of confessing Jesus as Lord? Why is it important? Why does Paul say right there in verse 9? If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. As your Lord and Master, He's in control. Amen 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 Absolutely. There's a transition. I think it's is maybe a good way to put it. There's a transition, brothers and sisters, when you first come to know the Lord and you confess, Lord, you know, Jesus as Lord, as your personal Lord and Savior, there's a transition stage. There's a stage that you go through those moments of difficulties, of, of hardships, but as your faith in Christ grows, then you start to see not the things that our, our earthly eyes see, but you tar- start to see the way God sees you start to see things in the spiritual sense. And that's what I'm saying that over the 34 years of my life, I've learned that, that, that it is a tightrope walk because on the right you have what the real world tells you things should be like. And on the left you have what God tells you and you're balancing those two things to stay on track. That's why the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge the Lord in all of your ways. If I, I'm not going to acknowledge somebody. The word acknowledge means that you're confessing, you're, you're saying. You acknowledge him in everything that you do and everything I do, and he will help make that path straight. In this case, Paul is telling them as well to confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord. But there's something else that, that's kind of hidden in there, and that's because we have to remember the audience that he's talking to. He's talking to the Israelites. By confessing with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, basically, they're saying Jesus is God. Because Lord was a term that was reserved for who? For who? For God. See, it's us for us, it's easy for us to say it because we know it now. Jesus is Lord. But the Israelites, especially, specifically the ones who did not believe that Jesus was God, they thought it was blasphemy, don't forget. They weren't ever going to say Jesus is Lord because that would have been referring to Jesus as God himself. And we understand as believers nowadays that the importance of knowing that Jesus is God. It says there, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. So, this is where the the prayer of salvation and the plan of salvation, but more importantly, this is where salvation is based on, brothers and sisters. Salvation is based on the acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord, but also the acknowledgement that God Himself raised Jesus from the dead. That He's no longer hanging on the cross. That He's no longer laying in the tomb, but instead He's been resurrected. And that He's conquered everything and all for you and me. Verse 10, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Brothers and sisters, what comes out of our mouth is a telltale sign of who we are and what we think and what we believe. I can't claim to love my wife or to have ever loved my wife and never have told her I love her because then how would she know? I mean, think about it. Something so simple. I met my wife, and then I thought in my head, man, I love her. And I thought more importantly in my heart, ah, I love her. But I never said it. Never once. And I just randomly asked her to marry me. You'd think that she would have been like, okay, sure. What's the one thing that we're waiting for in a relationship? For someone to say the big, Yes, three big words. They even joke about it. I, mean, I want to be the first one. Let her be the first one. No, let her be the first one. And right, let him be the first one. Why? Because we're dying to hear it. Because when you hear it, it makes it real. When you profess it, when you spit it out, it's like, okay, that took courage. You're committed. You don't just tell anybody you love them, do you? unless you're something wrong with you, right? Men, let's be honest, men, as men, you're very careful with those words, right? Because if you knew if you said them, you better mean them, because you're hooked. So you didn't just spit that out. Some people to this day are in relationships, they don't use the words. That's why you have a lot of relationships, brothers and sisters, where you have people who aren't married yet. They live together, they lived in the in the in the lifestyle of a married couple. But there's I guarantee you relationships where the, the man has never told girlfriend, I guess, I love you. And what do they say? You're not committed. Right. We can't do this anymore, we can't be together anymore because I don't feel like you're really committed to this relationship. So Paul here is stating very clearly that when you profess with your mouth, your faith, then you are saved. Jesus is Lord. It's like a testimony, brothers and sisters. It's like going to court and you have information and you sit in the court and the the lawyer or the attorney asks you to answer a question. What do they say? Answer the question, Mr. Nieto. I could plead the fifth. Right, I have a right not to say anything that's going to incriminate myself. We can choose to stay quiet, but when we really are trying to serve the Lord and know that Jesus is Lord, we profess it. That's why, brothers and sisters, on a daily basis, when we come and we worship here and we worship at home, you're constantly professing the goodness of who God is. That's the point of testimonies in case we forgot what they were. To profess of the greatness and the goodness of who God is, Paul understood the importance of professing and confessing, you know, our commitment to Jesus. You know, are we struggling with those commitments? The implications of confessing Jesus, is Lord, you become a new creation. The moment you say it, the moment you say Jesus is Lord, and I confess it, and I confess my sins transformation begins. It's the go button, brothers and sisters. I've told you this, and and we have all adults, and the kids are probably really, really small. But I I, I tell people this all the time, that that God is not, he's, He's not a molester. No means no to God. Everybody following? If you tell God, don't touch my life, God never puts a hand on your life or my life without our permission to do so. That's why I say, and I think we have, you know, for me, it helps me understand it, that God is not a molester. He doesn't touch you if you don't want to be touched. He doesn't want you to feel uncomfortable. Look, if someone were to do that to you, how uncomfortable would we feel? God is not like that. God doesn't want me to feel uncomfortable when he's doing something inside my life. He wants me to be joyful when he's doing something inside my life. Therefore, when I tell God no, God says, okay, no means no. It doesn't mean he doesn't have a desire. It doesn't mean that his heart is not saying, I want my heart to be with your heart. I want us to be one. I want us to be together. It just means that you rejected me. There's nothing I can do about it. See, but again, going back to using the relationship as an example, when we're committed, When we say I do, when we say yes, that's exactly what it means. Yes, Lord. Anything and everything, whatever you want, let's do it. Let's have a relationship. Let's communicate on a daily basis. The implications of confessing Jesus our Lord is everything to you and I. I believe everybody here has given their life to Christ, right? Paul had this desire because why? Because we had one great commitment to make. He understood that the Israelites and the Gentiles both alike needed Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And that the confession of who he was and what he was about was an important thing. There's a question on on page 49. We'll stop with this one. But I I want your thoughts. Amen. It says, why is salvation both easy and difficult? And Pastor Fred maybe jumped the gun a little bit. I wasn't going to go there that, that quick. Let's see who remembers. Or in your own words. Why is salvation both easy and difficult? Amen. Okay. Anybody else? Sister? Look over it. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. Brother Ray? Amen. Amen, sister. Anyone else? Your experience with salvation was because the truth is, though, I think the truth is this: is that many of us here we didn't accept Jesus the very first time someone spoke to us about him, right? I mean, I, I grew up, I grew up in church, and I took, I grew up in church, but there came a, a time in my life where I, I actually gave my life to to, to Christ. But I, I've heard testimonies, that's why I'm asking. I hope someone wants to share. What? Why was it difficult? Why was why? Why didn't you accept Jesus in the first time? When someone spoke to you of Christ, if there's anybody here who wants to just share maybe why it was, what your fears were, what your concerns were. Fred, last word. Amen, brothers and sisters, everybody here is right in your own way, right? Because we all struggled at some point with, with why salvation is both easy and difficult. And I think to summarize for me, it, it kind of ties in with what Pastor Fred is saying. For me, there's a few things, but it's, it's easy because it's it really is simple. Jesus already died on the cross for us. So all we have to do is literally acknowledge that he did that and accept him as our personal Lord and Savior. It's hard because it seems too easy. And when things are easy, you have doubt as to where, whether or not this can really, truly, honestly be real. And you have the difficulties, as we talked about or as we mentioned, in our lives because we also have a hard time keeping promises. Right, don't forget that we have one great commitment. It's very easy to make a promise, brothers and sisters. Is that true or not true? Even with the best of intentions, even if you have the best of intentions, it's really easy to make a promise. It's really hard to follow through. And I want you to think about that. Because it's really easy to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. It's simple. The, the action simple whether you're in church, whether you're at work, wherever you may be. It's even easier when you're going through something difficult and you realize all the promises of God's word. And God's going to change things. God's going to make things better. God's going to make my heart feel better. That's easy. A follow-through is what's hard. The follow-through of that commitment. I go back to, you know, what Brother Ben, what we've been using today, and we use it a lot, a marriage. It's easy when you're first falling in love. It's easy when, hey, you know, everything's peachy and rosy. When, when you walk outside holding hands and butterflies are buzzing it, that's easy. But once you get married, right, once you start living with one, one another, once you start to recognize the things that you n- didn't think you knew about that person, then it starts to get a little more difficult. Then the commitment that you had from the get-go and you thought no matter what, that's going to be fine. Then you realize that your husband snores all night. Then you realize what your wife really looks like when she wakes up in the morning. Like I said, you realize that that someone maybe doesn't shower as much as they should, that their feet maybe don't smell as great as you thought. Then you realize y'all both go number two, right? Little things, dumb things, but you don't think about those things when you're just dating. And then when you're in that relationship and you promise to make a commitment, then it gets hard to follow through. With Christ, it's the same way, brothers and sisters. Salvation is easy. It's easy to say, yes, Lord, come and live my life. It's a lot harder to follow through with the commitment to him. A life committed to Jesus in all that we do. That living sacrifices, brothers and sisters, that we're called to be on a daily basis. You know, so I encourage your brothers and sisters that as you as you continue this walk with life, whether you've been doing this for a few months, a few years, thirty plus years, that you remember that we have made a commitment to God. We've made a commitment to serve Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. That it's not good enough just to say I know Jesus or I know about Jesus. It's more important to actually have a relationship with Him, where you know what He's thinking and He knows what you're thinking you know that you can know the heart of God? I don't know if you've ever experienced that, brothers and sisters. But we have the ability to know the heart of God. And I have a heart that is completely in tune with who God is. In sync, right? His heart beats. And your heart beats right along with him. Because you have a good relationship and a good commitment to him as your personal Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen, brothers and sisters. God bless you. I'm going to ask Brother Fred to pass.